Welcome everyone to the final episode of season three's Life and Leadership podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's conversation and also throughout the year where we've had a whole range of different conversations about the Christian life. We'll be taking a break through August and then back in September where we've already got lined up some fantastic contributors to the podcast, including and kicking off the season with the amazing Dr. Danielle Trewick, who's recently published a scholarly book about the meaning of singleness and the church's thinking about singleness throughout history. I'm really looking forward to bringing that one to you. Remember, if you're out there and have got some ideas on guests that you think we could sit down and have a conversation with, I'd love to hear from you. You can get hold of me by emailing podcast at newgroundchurches.org. That's podcast at newgroundchurches.org. Now for today's episode, I sat down with my friend Margaret Law to discuss generosity and some of the lessons for life that God's taught her. Margaret and I met at City Church in Canterbury, where I became a Christian. Shout out to everyone at City Church. And we begin our conversation, Margaret and I, with some of the wisdom and lessons about the Christian life that she picked up in her early days as a believer, being part of the church in Odium, Hampshire, under the ministry of Arnold Bell, a name familiar, I'm sure, to some of our listeners. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, we started off in the Church of England in the village that we lived in, which was Hartley Whitney. And um, it was very soon realised that actually there is a ceiling to what God was uh, doing there. Um, Not by God, but actually by the structure of the Church of England. Um, And we were very blessed that the... Um, people there um, were like-minded. There were a lot of us that were very like-minded. And we decided that there was more that we wanted of God than what we were receiving. And it was really interesting that um, God always provides what you need. And he, we used to have weekly sometimes meetings that were um, attended by Arnold Bell. He was a great friend of the vicar called John Earp. And Arnold would come and he would just teach us on different subjects as he felt the Lord leading us. But we soon realised that there was a lot more that we could be learning and experiencing than what we were experiencing in the Church of England. And so a whole body of us actually left. And Arnold's church at the time, I think, was roughly about 40 people. So it was a time where we were hungry, really hungry for what God was doing, for the movement of the Spirit. None of us had ever been in anything like New Frontiers. Uh, we'd come from different church backgrounds. Um, and we just we just knew that God was calling us into something more. And Arnold was really good. And we sat under his um, tutelage, if you like. And um, just the way that he expanded the Bible, the way that he talked about things, his experiences of God in his own life was infectious. So, I mean, many of us have grown up in 
I became a Christian in a New Frontiers church, familiar with the, the kind of charismatic landscape. Um, talk to us about that time when it, there, there was quite a heavy sense of renewal going on in the church. Or like you said, no one had been in a church like New Frontiers before. Well, partly because I guess it hadn't ha- there wasn't church movements or streams like that at the time. It was a new move of God in this country. Um, so what was some of the things that you were sensing? You talk about hunger or there being a ceiling or the, the, the spirit moving. What was happening exactly in the church? Well, I, th- I think it was this fact that there was this great sense that God wanted to do more if you were willing to let him. And it was the time as well um, of the John Wimber conferences. Um, the spirit was moving in dynamic ways that you go to a prayer meeting and to be honest you wouldn't know what was going to happen next um god would just break in and people would be just totally either flawed or they would be weeping or there would be um conviction or it was a sense of god doing business with his people and, and that was exciting. You didn't want to stay away from church because, to be honest, it was, you, you didn't want to miss anything. Mm-hmm. So you'd get there and you think, what, what was God going to do today? And that was just like, you know. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we had, we had teams that would come when Wimber was about. So we the, had a I team mean, from Wimber. That I, came, I don't. I don't. Um, I, wasn't there. I don't know. I understand that. What was the church like? Because the Bible is the same. How to pray for the sick, gospels are the same. How to pray for so, lots of relevant things that were going on in people's lives, mm. um, and that was just amazing. We'd never experienced anything like that before. Why were, Why wasn't there that sense of expectation? Was it just there wasn't a sense of expectation in the church generally? Was were people's expectations of what God would do imminently and in the moment just far reduced from what they then became, or was it just a, a sovereign act of something from the outside, a renewal of the spirit into a dry and dusty landscape? I, mean, I think. I think it was. I think. I think it was the fact that. The church, I, I don't know, the church, it appeared, was running, you know, running its resources down. It was running on empty a lot of the time. So a lot of things that we did had become, I think, just, it was just what you did. It was, it was just every day, it was, oh, it was repetitive. There was, there was no sense that we were on a mission mm. until God broke in. And then God brought this amazing um, sense of uh, that things would happen. And we look forward to things happening, you know. Um, and it wasn't easy a lot of the time. Sometimes it could be quite painful. But God was working individually in people's lives, but also he was working in the body as well and that was exciting that was exciting to see so my in my understanding of the christian landscape in like the 70s and 80s was a church in a country that had conflated moralism with christianity so that so people when they thought about church and christianity just thought about moral duties and you know rituals and responsibilities and 
therefore the the, the culture which has, had gone through a bit of a, a liberation if you want uh, during the, the kind of the sexual revolution and the cultural revolutions that took place and the, 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 the youth kind of rave movements that were kicking off there was a hunger in the wider culture for freedom from constraints um, and it seemed that the church I guess because they were reacting to the moral conservatism of the church was it that the church in the country was at a kind of low ebb generally the m- morality of the people was battered and people like you said were just going through the motions that well people don't really believe this anymore the churches didn't decline was there a heavy sense of decline I guess is my question and was it was it that God awoken faith for his bride again um and I'm asking the same question in different angles I'm just really trying to interested in trying to inhabit exactly what it was like in that period of time um it was about relationship it was about relationship with God and it was about relationship with each other and that was the difference. Suddenly, church became less of an organisation and more of a family. Mm. And so, suddenly, you, had, you were surrounded by these people that were not only like-minded with you, but very different, because we're all different, but they held the same values. Um, they were companions, if you like, on the journey that God was setting the church on. So there was this great sense of belonging, which I think was lacking in the church until God moved. I think living in a village, and particularly when you're in a village church, it's always been done this way, and we don't ever want it to change. And they're very comfortable with how it's always been done um, and what's done. And God almost stirred that up and said, it's, that's not the way it's going to be done anymore. Mm-hmm. And you either went with it or you didn't. And I think that's, that was what we found, that there was always this desire that we could stop, but then we wouldn't get anywhere. And I think those that moved on knew it was time to move on because God wanted us to move on and do more. It was an exciting time, um, but I think in, in with that, you learn that it's not always going to be like that, that God doesn't always, um, day after day after day, you know, you, you, you get these wonderful experiences day after day after day. There comes a time when it evens out. And what you learn, you have to start putting into practice. And what you see, you have to start putting into practice. And that's where belonging to the church in Odium was, um, was really, really beneficial. Because we were smaller and it's easier in a smaller church. Um, it's easier to know people really well, to develop good relationships. It's also, um, it's also, it can be quite challenging because you live closer together, because you know people better. And so things that, you know, you rub against each other. But, you know, very often when you rub against each other, 
we sharpen each other as well. And as you said, if there's a shared yes. hunger for the church, hunger for God, then you rub against each other, but you're doing it in an environment of exactly. commitment anyway. Exactly. So there's no, you know, there's no, well, you've annoyed me, so I'll just keep my distance from you because yeah. you're both committed to, we want, we want to refresh the church. We want to be the church. Yeah. So I can see you get a fresh vision for what the people of God's meant to be. Sounds like a fresh vision for, for mission and activity um, and of God just renewing, restoring, revitalizing, bringing new life and health to his people must have been hugely encouraging. Yes, it was. And I think as well, it was quite, it can be quite a witness to the people around as well, because it's unlike church that people think of and it was at the time um, that it wasn't the sort of church that people well you know what is church you know and that isn't their idea of what church is you know and so I think seeing how people cared for each other um, how they reacted to each other um, and also the you know in the community people in the community, working in, into the community as well. Mm. So I, I, think, I think that from our perspective, we learnt a lot about family, about commitment, um, about obedience, about trust. Uh, I think we, it was almost like the bedrock to start with that you can build on and i mean you know what i think kind of stood the test of time is that i know at the time some criticism would have been leveled at churches like that or ours as being um experientialist and um there's a lot of well, charismatic gifts charismatic activity noise and emotionalism and yeah as you said it wasn't emotion for the sake of emotion or just hype there was used words like obedience and sacrifice and cost. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just fluff and sugar. Mm -hmm. It was real muscle and protein. And, you know, and I know yourself and many people of your generation who are part of those early years of establishing the new church stream, like New Frontiers, the family that we're part of, um, often hear that and see that in them. People who grasped the the need to be committed and need to obey and the need to go to war against sin and you know there's so it's beautiful to see and it's a kind of a longing of people in my generation to see we want hunger for God that leads to repentance and life change rather than just emotionalism yeah so being in, being in the church in Odium with Arnold and kind of learning many of the things that you did. Um, I know one of the one of the things that we've talked a lot about before that um, that God seemed to put in you then was around the whole area of stewardship and generosity, um, as you've kind of seemed to grasp in those that time something about the character and nature of God and some of the stories that Arnold would share from his own life. Um, can you talk to us a bit about? Yeah, where your impetus towards generosity and stewardship with the things that God's given you, where that came from and how God taught you some of the things that he has in that area? Well, I think it starts really with the premise that God owns everything. And I think we have to remember that, that nothing that we have belongs to us. Everything really is on loan. 
And I think that was <clears throat> something that was really instilled during those years. That um, it's no good thinking I can keep everything because you don't own it. And that goes not just for possessions, it, it goes for jobs, it goes for um, people. We don't own anything. Um, you know, when Jesus died for us, he paid a price. And that price was for us to have freedom. But it was also for us to, to not be shackled with having to, to go and, and have to hold on to things hard, you know, for our security. Our security is not with things or with people uh, or with jobs. It's our security comes from God, hanging on to him. And when God trusts us with things, it's to use them wisely. And he gives us things um, to steward in order to advance the kingdom. And so we use everything that we have to advance the kingdom. And there, I think, a lot of people <clears throat> get quite, um, what can I say? That's then, they, they get quite defensive you know, well, God wants me to have this because he wants me to have the pleasure of it. Yes, he does. He loves us to have pleasure in things. Um, I mean, we only have to look at, at Solomon, don't we? You know, <laughs> he asked for wisdom and he gave him riches as well because he just loves to give. But he also, there's an expectation from God that we use them wisely. Um, and if we hang on to something that actually God wants us to give to something else, not only are we robbing that person that he wants us to give to, but we rob ourselves of the joy that, of giving because God's heart is in giving. He loves to give. It gives him great pleasure. Uh, and, you know, that's biblical. The, the Bible tells us that. It pleases God's heart to give. He rejoices. And so when we hang on to things... We rob ourselves of the pleasure that God wants us to have. And also, we spoil our relationship with him in some sense. Because when we hang on to things, we're saying, I don't trust you to give me anything else. And very often, you know, in, in the past, um, I've found that if there's something, particularly if it's something that I've been doing, say in the church, and I've hung on too long to doing it, the joy goes out of the doing. And it's God can't give you other things to do to bring you enjoyment and other gifts for you to hold if you're holding gifts that he doesn't want you to have. You need to give it away. And so I think from that point of view, that was probably one of the most, um, I'd say, beneficial, really, things that I was taught at ODM is this thing about giving. 
to give away when you know that's what God wants because he will always, always make sure that you have enough. He promises that he'll give us everything for life and godliness. Mm. Everything. Not a bit, but everything. And we can trust him in that. It's when you stop trusting that God will do it is when you become disillusioned. Yeah, I mean, handling, handling money is one of the hardest parts of the Christian life. Um, <laughs> learning, learning that all your wealth, everything you own belongs to God and that you should journey and partner with God in trying to be radically generous with it. I mean, that's a discipleship thing that flows out of these experiences of God's grace, the understanding of the gospel that loosens your grip on things. Uh, I mean, you know, I know, knowing you, um, stories of just incredible acts of generosity or incredibly generous person with the things that God has given you. Um, but I like even as how you in how you answered that question and approached the subject of money. Whenever we talk about money and generosity, you're always very quick to take it away from just talking about pounds and pence and talking about everything we have, our gifts, our strength, our energy, our time. Um, and that's quite deliberate, I think, isn't it, for you? Yeah. That it, the, the, everything is kind of, yeah. it's not just how do I be generous with my money? Well, there's no point being generous with your money until you're also generous with all this other stuff as well. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think one of the hardest things for people to be generous with is not particularly money. I think it's themselves. It's very hard to be generous with yourself, to give of yourself. And that flows into lots of areas of your life. Um, if you won't give your time, that's giving of yourself. If, if you find that difficult, and a lot of people do find that difficult. Very often you hear people say, this is my time. You know, I can't, I can't do so and so, because that's my time. Um, or they won't open their homes, you know. Um, or, or, well, no, I, you, you can only come to my home if it, you know, on a Thursday or a Tuesday and, or when it's been cleaned or, you know. <clears throat> so I think it's things like that that tests the heart. You know, it's, it's, we've, we've always tried to have what we call an open door policy. And um, in the past, we've had lots of people who've lived with us, short term, long term, who've needed somewhere to stay. Um, and, it, and I'm not going to say at times it's been easy. It hasn't. It's been hard. But you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot more about God. And sharing your life is one of the most important things in the Christian walk, is to share yourself with other people. And I, I almost, out of that, if you can do that, if you can share yourself, then all the other things flow from it. So you, you give of yourself, and, and God enables you to do it. So it's, it's giving of yourself and then all these other things God gives you to flow out of that. And I think that is probably one of the most important lessons that I learned. Yeah, I, mean, I think if you, I, I often think 
the Christian message can be summed up in that word generosity or hospitality, those sorts of words, because it is entirely a, a message of God's generous outpouring of himself to us and then asks us to imitate him. You know, so Jesus says, um, be like your father who's perfect, who causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. That's the, the essence of what it means to be a disciple. But you can only really do that once you've received grace and generosity from God. And to the measure that you've received is probably the measure that you're able to give out. So the disciple's life is to be one of, like, I guess, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving, receiving, receiving all the time. But not so you keep, like, as you said, God restored and renewed the church for mission, for the community, for others. But for then for the saints themselves to realize that they're to be a family, to give themselves to others. Um, so it's the complete kind of undoing of the self that wants that is by nature crooked and bent in on ourselves towards consumption and selfish gain. But the gospel as that kind of bending outwards to, to generosity, whether in generosity towards the church family or generosity towards the world or then with our wealth. Um, and as you know, you rightly point out, that stems from a vision of understanding who God is, is able to supply everything we need. And it's those, some of those, sometimes you need those stories of God's amazing provision when people have needed it that really help teach you and instruct you, inform you that this is what God's like. Um, I, I know we've talked about this before, but some of the, the stories that Arnold used to share of God's amazing provision for them that then would in, enable him and others to go on and emulate God's generosity um, perhaps you could share with us some of the the things that Arnold would teach about um, generosity and God's provision well he he would um, he would his his mother and father were um, separated when he was a child and he told a story about um, his mom's just saying to God what do I do now you know um, I've got two children to look after what do I do and God said trust me you know trust me and that's how she lived she trusted God and I remember him saying that there was a an episode where um they had coal fires and they hadn't got any coal and his mum hadn't got any money and so she prayed and God said order the coal which he did but she ordered the coal and it came to the day and the coal was being delivered and they still haven't got any money, um, but in faith she knew God wouldn't let her down, and so she waited. And they were delivering the coal, and they delivered the coal in bags. And they were put in the bags, um, of the, emptying the bags of coal for her. And as the last bag of coal came, um, the postman came with an envelope, and he gave her this letter, and she opened it, and in it was the amount of money to pay for the coal. And it was thing. It it was. It, it was like, it was things like that mm. that become real, that you can trust God, really trust God in it. Um, and I think there are, I think there are lots of um, things in our own lives. They may not be as miraculous as that was, because it was miraculous. She never knew where the money came from, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, but it's in our own lives, it's just the little things that matter to God. I mean, Bill always laughs at me, is that when we go into a car park, I pray for a space, particularly if it's busy. 
you know, and, and the majority of the time we get a space, you know, God's, God's good. He cares about the little things as well as the big things. Mm. Um, um, I had a very dear friend in, in the, Hay the Haywards Heath Church and she was just amazing how God provided for her. Um, she had to, um, she had a, a, a husband that was uh, in a home with MS and the majority of her money went to pay for that home for him. And she lived on very a very meagre amount. And then, but she used to pray about absolutely everything. And um, she would uh, she would go to charity shops, and and suddenly exactly what she wanted would be there. Um, she went to she was, she got an invitation to go to a wedding, and she hadn't got anything particularly nice to wear. But you know that. It didn't deter her, so she just prayed, and she said to the Lord, "Lord, I am, you know, I've got this set amount of money, which was quite small, um, and I, in my mind, I know exactly what I'd like to have um, for this wedding." And she went down to the charity shops, and she it was late in the evening. One charity shop was closing, but she went in, and and she said, "Well." I don't suppose you've got anything for a wedding. And the girl said to her, what are you looking for? And she told her, and she well, hang on a minute, we've just had a bag come in at the back. And she came out, and she bought exactly the thing that she wanted, with all everything to go with it, that was her size. Mm. And that's God. That, that isn't, you know, that isn't a coincidence. Um, that's God that he provides. Um, and she didn't need it, but he blessed her with it. And I, I think that's amazing. We had a gift day once in Hayward's Heath and God told her to give it a specific amount of money, which meant probably she wouldn't eat for the rest of the week. And she gave it and she got home. When she got home, there was an envelope that had been pushed through the door with exactly the amount of money in that she'd given. And God does that, you know, it's, but she'd not, she'd not just had the blessing of giving, which it was to her, but she'd had the blessing from God of being given back, which is, you know, you, you can't help give God, <laughs> you can't. Now that didn't happen all the time, but at that time she needed it and God gave it to her. Mm. I, I love that because I think there's a, it is a, a way of living our lives that's supposed to have our our eyes wide open to all of the blessings and goodnesses of God around us. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, asking God for car parking spaces. I didn't realise you were you were one of those people, Margaret. Yes, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we always hear those illustrations in sermons about people who pray for parking spaces. Well, you are one of those people. <laughs> but the beauty and you know the, the value of doing things like that is that you're regularly receiving back from God answers to prayers, which fuels your gratitude, which increases your trust, which means that when it comes to bigger things, you know, where even when God says no to requests for help or healing, you're, you've built up enough trust capital with God that you think, okay, well, I trust my father. I know he provides. I know he's generous. I know he's good. 
Um, and so I, I, I love the kind of the vision of the Christian life that's supposed to be living with our eyes wide open, that asks and interacts with God about everything and sees the generous heart of our Father providing for us in big and small. And even when he says no and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we still don't need to fear evil because we know he's with me and I can trust him because goodness and mercy follows me. You know, and, I, and so, I, yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful way of thinking about and talking about the Christian life. Um, God's good, generous, fatherly heart to provide for his people. I always, I always love one of the stories that you'd share of Arnold Bell's sermons about the mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Tell us about the mushrooms. <laughs> well, um, they, um, they hadn't got a lot of money. Um, and so the, the way they um, ate was very sparse. And um, he, they went through a period, a hard period. And um, the one thing, thing that ha- that grew in their garden they could eat was mushrooms. And so um, they had the mushrooms. And his, his wife Mary cooked the mushrooms and did them. And um, he said, you know, day after day they'd eat these mushrooms everywhere you could think of it. And um, it got to the stage where he said, Lord, I don't think I can eat another mushroom. I really, really don't think I can eat one. But if that's all we've got, that's all we've got. But, you know, I've come to the end. Really, I've come to the end now of mushrooms. And um, Mary went outside and there was a bag of groceries on the step that somebody had just left for them. And you just think that was small, but it, it was... It was big to them. It was, you know, it was a, um, it was again. It was God saying, "I care, you know. I want to give you this. This is what I want to give you. Um, I will provide for what you need, you know." Mm-hmm. And I think that's just amazing, mm-hmm. you know, that um, He touched somebody's heart without them realizing to make that bag of food to leave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what fun from that that individual's point of view. You know, they were just responding to a a prompt within their conscience, say, to go and buy some groceries and leave them on that door. And um, and they got to partner with God and be the, be the answer to Arnold's prayer, an expression of the fatherly generosity. And I don't know, it strikes me that part of the... I, I pick up when I talk to people, there's a, a degree of offense with God that settles into some Christians hearts when it comes to you know they, they think to themselves oh well God's so busy running the universe there's so much going on and he doesn't answer all these big prayers for war and famine why should I pray little prayers for groceries and isn't it offensive to consider that maybe God provides for Arnold's prayer for groceries but he doesn't answer this prayer for this person's child to be healed of cancer and people take offense at God because of those thoughts that enter their mind, um, forgetting, I guess, that the, the secret things belong to God, the revealed things belong to us. There's a, there's a certain degree of hubris in, the, well, a lot of hubris in the human heart that, that likes to think, unless I can understand what God's doing, I'm not interested, or I, you know, I want to have one over on God and understand all of his ways. And that robs them sometimes of that, that joy of partnership with God um as you uh, to to kind of feel my way to a question here as you kind of wrestle with those those 
things that I threw out there about, you know, war and famine and cancer and illness on the one hand, evil in the world that doesn't, you know, doesn't get resolved. And then the, the small prayers that do seem to go answered, get answered. How do you hold those two things together? How do you make sense of God's dealing with people in the world? Well, I'd just like to share something that happened when we were in Hartley Whitney. Um, it must have been in the middle of the 1980s. And um, I think it was in Italy, um, it was on the news that a little boy had fallen down a well. Um, in Italy, a lot of the, um, in, in the outskirts of villages and things, they didn't have running water. Um, they had, they sunk their own wells. And they used to just, they were just a hole in it, and they used to cover them over with boards. Uh, or something so that and then they'd take them away, get their water because they were fresh springs. And the, the lid had been left off this, this well and this child had fallen down. And um, as it happened, they hadn't, the child hadn't gone completely down into the water right at the bottom, but it got wedged and stuck, but quite a way down. It made news. And um, the Italian rescue teams went, but they hadn't got the right equipment. And um, it, was, it was on the news, I mean, you know, every news bulletin it was on. And so the different countries, I know our country, offered to send specialised teams out to them with the right to get them. And it was refused. And they said, no, we can do it, we can do it, we can get them out. Well, they couldn't, and by the time they did get the child out, the child was dead. And it was really, it was really heartbreaking, because at the time the churches were praying, people were praying, you've got a Catholic country who was praying. Um, and um, I was in a ladies' meeting, and um, we, you know, we were all saying, you know, you know, why didn't God, you know, we'd, we'd all got children the same sort of age at that time. You know, how, how could God let that, you know, happen? And I was praying about it the night that the child had actually died. And God just spoke to me and he said, um, it wasn't me who left the lid off the well. It wasn't me who refused the help. It wasn't me who wasn't looking after the child. I'd handed that care to someone else for them to look after. And it just made me realise that it's, it's so easy to blame God for the ills that we find in the world that God didn't do. He's, uh, he's, he's given us a world and he's given us stewardship of it and he's given us stewardship of each other. Now how we deal with that is up to us. And if we decide we're going to go to war with another country, that is down on that's us. We decide that, mm. not God. And if if accidents happen, then that that's down to us. You know, God God has given us. You know, He says, "I've given you everything for life and godliness," and He's entrusted us with this. And each one of us 
um, has the ability to do what is right. Um, so to blame God when he's given us this ability to do what is right um, really is a cop-out, to be honest. We just, it's so, I mean, it's, 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 very, it's very like, isn't it? From when sin entered the world, the first thing that Adam said was, it's not my fault. Mm. The woman gave it to me. It wasn't my fault. Mm. Um, and that's what, the, that's what we do in the world. Mm. It's easier to put the blame onto somebody else than to take responsibility. Mm. Um, and God expects us to take responsibility. And I think, you know, that's, that's how I look at things in the world now, mm. you know. It's everything in the world. We, we, we live with an enemy who will cause chaos, who will cause hurt, who will cause disease, um, who, will, who will do anything to discredit God, mm. anything, if we let him. That's really moving and a wonderful um, answer to that big question that people wrestle with. Um, you know, just as God could say, it wasn't me who left the lid off the well, you might also say, it wasn't me who let death into the world. <laughs> it wasn't me who ate of a fruit you weren't supposed to eat, you know, and, and therefore the consequences that come with that. The miracle is that in a world with death and the consequences of disobedience to a holy God, the miracle is that goodness happens and flourishes and thrives. That God's, you know, Augustine coined the term common grace for those everyday experiences of goodness. You think God's grace is common. It's commonly known by everybody. The, the loving goodness and kindness of God, as we quoted about the rain and the falling on the just and the unjust, the miracle in life is that God is good to us in so many different ways. You think, and yet, and yet, in times of gross evil and injustice like war, for example, you get moments of rays of sunlight, like I'm think, watching something about Dunkirk the other day, where a nation prayed and hundreds of thousands were rescued. You get moments of God's grace in the midst of the darkness that we've made because that's who God is. He can't help but pierce the darkness with his light from time to time and display his, his glory and his goodness. But as you said, the, the, the common and the thing that God wants for us as his people, and I love it, you come back to this idea of stewardship as being at the heart of everything. It's about learning to have a, a loving partnership trust with God, whereby we obey in response to what he says and what he offers. We take the good he's given us and use it in his service for others. Um, you, you know, you've, you've shared with me before, again, some of the lovely ways that God has spoken to you and you've acted in obedience and then seen some really lovely consequences as a result of that. I'm thinking particularly of one lady who you felt God call you to or invite to church. Do you remember that story? Again, it's a, it's a great example of Partnering with God in a broken, fallen world. So tell us about that. Mm, uh, well, it's a, uh, a, f a friend that um, had lost her daughter. Um, and uh, she was, well, obviously heartbroken. And um, 
and we we were in the same babysitting circle together and so we knew each other's children well and um, the daughter was 10 and um, she died very suddenly. Um, and although we talked about God, the local, it was the time when we were in the Church of England, the local curate was excellent and, um, but she didn't really come to church or, um, and I'd been praying, well, all of us had been praying a lot for her and her husband. And then this one Saturday, I was walking into the village and um, I just felt God say, when you get back to Ringa and invite you to church. And so, I went, did what I got to do in the village, but I'd happened to look at my watch to see what the time was. When I got back home, I rang, it wasn't long after, and um, I said to her, you know, I, I really feel God tell me that he'd like you to come to church tomorrow. So I'm inviting you, will you come with, come with us to church? And she said, well, what time did you feel that? And so I told her and she said, well, at that time, I was in the bath, and I said, if you're a real God, you'll get Margaret to ring me and ask me to go to church tomorrow. And she came, um, and she became a Christian, and then her husband became a Christian, her parents became Christians, uh, her parents-in-law, her aunt, um, and her, her, eventually her son did as well. And so it was like it was like a domino effect. And so you know, sometimes you don't have. At that stage, it was just come with me, come to church, you know. And so often it has to start, you know, just with that one little thing, for God to use in much bigger ways, and an impact more people than you ever realize that's amazing it's such an encouraging story and uh, yeah you we have the we have the joy of partnering with god i think that's what the that's what it means to be a disciple of jesus we, you know we sometimes we emphasize and we talk about the moral obedience you know learning to do good things that bring life to your soul those are good rhythms and good practices that help us thrive as believers Almost all of that is is kind of foundational to help us live, perhaps you might say, as Adam and Eve were intended to live before the fall. We're, we're to live as those who, who who partner with and obey God in in bringing shalom, peace, wholeness to the earth. And those are lovely moments. And obviously, there's lots, no doubt, lots of times in your life where you've felt God tell you to do something, you've done it, and you've not seen any results. You know, you don't know what God's done with that. But you still get the joy of, of partnering with God in that. Um, what would you kind of want to say to people listening to this, whether you know, there's pastors, there's people in ministry, there's people all around the world who listen to this podcast. Um, perhaps whatever's in your heart and mind is a kind of thing that you'd love to leave or pass on to people. I think the, the most important thing, and I've sort of said it before, the whole of my faith is based on the perfection of God. He's perfect. And 
because he's perfect, he never gets anything wrong. And each of us who put our trust in him have to have that knowledge, but not in our head, in our hearts. Because it's easy to say, oh yes, God's perfect, he's holy. But it has to translate into life. It has to translate into just more than head knowledge. Mm. It's something that you, um, you have to know deep within mm. that God is perfect. Therefore, he doesn't get anything wrong. And therefore, when things happen or don't happen, he's not wrong. Mm. And so I think the whole point of, I'll say, the whole point really of, of what you do, where, when you do it, whatever, is that if you get it wrong, God's big enough because he's perfect to, to put it right. His promise is that all things will work together for good for those that love him and put their trust in him. And therefore, if sometimes we don't hear the right thing, if sometimes we choose not to obey, if sometimes we feel we've let him down, God is, is bigger than that. Mm. He can put that right. He can make that work for good for us and to advance his kingdom. Mm. Um, nothing is ever wasted with God. God uses everything, everything that we go through, everything that we do, whether it's, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Because of his perfection, he can make all things right again. Um, and that was only possible through the cross. Um, because Jesus has dealt with sin. And so therefore, everything that we experience with God is to our benefit. And I think we have to have a mind change that we tend to think, oh, if I do this and it's wrong, then, you know, it won't be any good for me or any good. No, God says even when we do things wrong, great benefit can come out of it sometimes. Even when we get things wrong, great benefit can come out of it because we learn a lesson but it also draws us closer to God. And we know God at work in us. And sometimes I do feel that sometimes when we, when we get even the little things wrong, that's the time when I'm closest to God. Because that's the time you have to fall back on him and say, I've got this totally wrong. <laughs> Can you, you know, I need you. You know, because at the end of the day, there's nothing that we can do that we can't, that of ourselves, it's all to do with God. Mm. And God is our enabler. And so everything that we do, um, everything, whether it's right or wrong, it's, it's to increase his glory. I think that's the one thing I'd say to, to other people is, don't ever be afraid of making a mistake. Mm. Don't ever stop doing something just in case it's going to be wrong. Um, because at times it will be. 
that's life. It will be wrong because we are not perfect. We haven't got perfect spiritual hearing. We haven't got um, a, a, a perfect relationship with God yet. Not until we get to heaven will we have that perfect relationship with God. But we've got a relationship where we are being transformed um, into the likeness of Jesus. And, you know, that's, that is um, the most amazing gift that we've got, uh, is this, this gift of being transformed. Well, I hope you found that helpful. I really enjoyed talking with Margaret and loved particularly her answer to the question I put her about suffering and the goodness of God and learning to trust God. I thought that was superb. I really appreciate as well the, the glimpse back into her experience, into the renewal movement that she was born again into. It really inspired and stirred me for more. God do it again, we say, and do more than before. Well, that's it for the year. Don't forget that you can still find our previous episodes on the website www.newgroundchurches.org forward slash podcast or in the back catalogue of wherever you've downloaded this from. Also, don't forget that many of these conversations are available to view as a video on the Newground YouTube channel. So do check them out. And that's it from me for this year. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time, stay well and keep pursuing Jesus with everything you have.